everyone and welcome to the bedpost podcast i of course am your host aaron pym slash lady pym depending on where you know me and what we do here on the bot is bring in fun and sexy guests over to the studio to talk about sex and sexuality with me today i'm also excited this is someone oh my god all the way from the uk people and yes i screwed up the time difference please welcome <laughs> to the mic everybody <laughs> submissive bdsm model ariel Anderson. Hi, Ariel. Hello. Hi. It's Hello. lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. Um, you're someone that I've, you know, just always seen on Twitter as so- someone who comes off to me as just such an established person in this industry and someone I, quite frankly, really look up to. Oh, gosh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. I'm so honored. Yeah, you're very welcome. So one of the main reasons we do have you here today, right? We've written, you've written a book. I'm not going to put myself in it. We haven't written a book. You have <laughs> written a book. <laughs> I have. I've written a memoir. And I always think when you tell people you've written a memoir, you can see their eyes kind of going dead. Because <laughs> oh the idea of someone writing down their entire life story sounds terribly dull. So I've tried very hard to make it not dull. Um, you so know what? I'm really. Mm-hmm. Perhaps most people, most people's lives, maybe. I have a feeling. I have a sneaking suspicion that is not the case with you. I don't think you live a very boring life, Ariel. It's been quite a strange <laughs> life, to be honest, and that's why I'm hoping people will enjoy hearing about it. And also because I've really written about the struggle of realizing very young that I was kinky, mm-hmm. that there was something kind of non-standard about my sexuality, mm-hmm. and not realizing as a, a lot of us, especially those of us who grew up pre, pre-internet, mm-hmm. not realizing I was part of something, thinking I was the only person, and then realizing in my mid-twenties that, oh my God, there is like a kink scene and I can be part of it, um, and then making that into my job. So I'm hoping that although it is my story, I'm hoping it will be kind of relatable to yeah. a lot of people, especially those of us who weren't smart enough to realize early on that we weren't alone in the world (laughs) I think that's like even non-kinky people maybe like people who are um, struggling to realize their identities in other ways you know it can also be very relatable for that because often you know as young people you 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 feel isolated don't you and yes all your weird stuff you know it's yes. very easy to think you're the only one in the world and you're a fucking freak and no yeah. one's gonna love you and like <laughs> absolutely all of that yeah and I, th- I know a lot of teenagers of course go through the feeling that they're all alone in the world and everything's horrible yeah. but it does strike me looking back at my teenage life how weird that the thing that now gives me the most pleasure you know being kinky being engaged in the BDSM scene that was the thing that I thought was the worst thing about myself and it's sort of it's strange those of us who grew up believing that our sexualities kind of weren't okay 
I mean, it's just, it's such a joy, like having, having a sexual identity that you can share with other people. It's one of the best things in the world. And the yeah. idea of, of like, young people now potentially still feeling like that, it bothers me very much. And hopefully because of the internet, they won't feel like that, but it always feels like more dialogue about kinkiness and sexuality is always going to be better so that's what I hope that we do with our job really yeah definitely I mean you know people may still maybe be physically isolated in their absolutely like, little small towns or their areas yes. or whatever maybe there's not a kink scene directly there but like you know the online community is saving lives you know yes yeah, yeah. I really think so don't you yeah. But it, I know on the face of it, you know, if people went and looked at our Twitter feeds, <laughs> you know, it all looks very fun and quite frivolous. But under that is is just we're facilitating people getting to experience some of the things that, that are really important to them. Um, and as a kinky person myself, I really understand the importance of that. And I, I guess you probably do as well. Yeah, I just certainly do. Being able to express ourselves sexually is is a huge great freedom and and to think that you know through a lot of history kinky people didn't get to do that i mm -hmm. mean not in a consensual way anyway yeah or we were called witches and mm. burnt at the stake yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking earlier today like what did sexual sadists do back in like medieval europe did they i guess if they were kind of unethical they went and worked as like torturers and enforcers and perhaps like prison guards I, I mean I hope they didn't but I suspect some of them probably did and what a healthier state we're in now that if you're a sexual sadist you can just go I think I'll find a sub that yeah I think I'll find a lovely person who wants to do this fun expressive yes. thing with me and we can and share I'll negotiate this together a scene. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, and I feel like on the other side of the slash for the masochists, like they just went out and got in trouble everywhere. I and know. were hoping that people just lashed out back at them and called totally. them idiots and losers and, and yes. you know, all of that. <laughs> I remember being about 18 and thinking, okay, so I guess I could, oh, how am I going to do this? Like, I guess I could find a relationship that's violent oh, I mean yeah. which didn't sound like a good option I mean I was aware that would be a terrible choice or I thought maybe I can join the military maybe those are my wow. two options for... wow yeah and I mean those are two very unappealing <laughs> options <laughs> and just finding a nice man who's dominant seems yeah it seems like a better choice but I wasn't aware that was a possibility yeah when can you tell me just uh briefly mm. when you did realize that was a possibility <laughs> I found out under very dramatic, sudden circumstances, and I don't know how many people have had such a, a sort of light bulb extreme moment. So I had had no idea. It hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me to search online. By this time I was online, but I didn't know what I would have been searching for. Mm. So I had become a professional model. It was my first week as a professional model. In fact, it was my second day wow. as a model. And I was doing an artistic nude shoot at a studio in London. And my photographer, who was my second ever photographer, seemed like a very nice man. And at the end of the shoot, he said, would you like to come to um, an art e exhibition with me? There's an opening this evening. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, I guess that's what professional models do. They, you know, they go to galleries and look at art. So I said, mm -hmm. yes. And he took me along to this exhibition. 
and I didn't know what the theme was going to be. And we walked through the door and I will never forget it. It was a BDSM exhibition. Wow. And suddenly, I, you know, I walked through this door. On one side of that door, I'd been someone who was all alone in the world. On the other side of this door was everything that I'd thought about all my life represented, you know, in artwork all over the walls. Wow. And I realized I'm in a room full of people who are, are the same as me. And it was just the most extraordinary experience. It, it felt a bit like a kind of, when I hear religious people talking about like a, a religious conversion, I mean, that sounds really blasphemous, but it felt like that. Like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Um, and so I went around this exhibition talking to all the artists and getting their business cards. And then the, in my second week as a model, I was doing bondage. Um, wow. because, so so the, the first BDSM I ever did was on camera. So I've got, you know, I've got a record of all oh, my early wow. experiences, which is, I guess that's an unusual thing because most people would play first, which would be a more sane choice, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't have that opportunity. My opportunities were on screen and it was a, I mean, it was an amazingly dramatic way to enter this lovely kinky world wow it truly is like what an entrance <laughs> my goodness yeah. <laughs> yeah so what did then what did that feel like having some of your first kinky experiences while shooting while shooting you know I, wow. I was gonna say while shooting content but that's not what we called it back in the day no no like <laughs> photo shoots I suppose yeah. we called them well you know it's yeah. funny I think sometimes about whether I would recommend it to other people you know what I did would right. I recommend it and I'd in some ways I guess I'd say maybe no because it's quite high stakes you know stuff goes wrong if you're not good at something it's all on camera yep. but I don't regret it at all because what it means is I guess two things it means that I've got a record of these beautiful experiences that I probably wouldn't have remembered very well because you know subspace <laughs> so that's precious um but also I think it meant that I didn't try to figure it out with a boyfriend who didn't know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. My first experiences mm -hmm. were with professionals who were pretty safety conscious and and also, you know, professional. They didn't try to hit on me or anything like that. And so in some ways it was a very safe entry to the BDSM world. And I, I guess in some ways it's a little bit like going to see a professional, you know, a pro dom. Yeah. Um, because your first experience when you don't know anything, at least it's with someone who does know what they're doing. And I, I honestly, I don't know how people who figure it out together manage, manage not to damage each other. <laughs> manage not to damage. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can imagine a really overexcited sub who wants to do everything and wants to prove how tough they are. Yeah. And a dom who wants to kind of prove how dominant they are, but doesn't know anything. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for an Oof. absolute abomination. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't have that. And I'm and so in some ways, I guess I would recommend it yeah. because it, it was a very safe, controlled entry into into the world. Yeah, I mean, I recommend that people who are especially submissives, right, because they're kind of a more vulnerable um, to, yeah. you know, to um, assault and abuse and all those things. Especially the, yeah, the like, actual physical vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes. So, like, I would definitely recommend if you're new to kink, go and see a pro dom, like a verified oh goodness, yes. established pro dom, right? 
Yes. Um, yes. That, that is uh, a great idea, I think, for exactly all the reasons you mentioned, right? It, it's going yes. to be someone who knows what they're doing, who is safety conscious, uh, who has yes. enough experience under their belt that they're going to be making sure you have a comfortable experience, you know? Absolutely. And they're there yeah. just for you, right? You've paid them. So yes. you've given yes. them, you know, what what they want as far as, uh, you know, giving them something back. Like, But, but when you're yes. there, they're there for you and it's all about your experience which is not going to be the case yes. uh lifestyle you know what i mean they no, they've got their absolutely. own agendas in in a non-professional sen- uh, setting potentially right so yeah absolutely nope. but that's so interesting can you can you tell me like the mm-hmm. activities some of the first activities that were happening <laughs> yeah just out of curiosity just, like looking back it's so mild but <laughs> it felt so exciting sure. so the first shoot I had the first bonded shoot was with someone who having said oh it was with all these experienced people yeah actually this wasn't because <laughs> the first thing I did at this exhibition was I got booked by someone who was very well known okay. and the photographer who'd taken me to this exhibition was like oh my goodness you're going to go and work with this really well-known sadist would you like to come around to my flat and we'll just try some stuff out like the week before and I said <laughs> yes which was foolish very foolish yeah, of me oops. so I went to his house and he tied me up to a chair with bandages because um, that's what he had and then we realized once I was tied up um, well he, he blindfolded me as well which we hadn't discussed which now I realize of course we should have discussed that and it really freaked yeah. me out because I hadn't expected it um, and then we, so I started to cry <laughs> and he said, oh, oh, don't worry, I'll get you out. Then realised actually bandages are really hard to untie in a hurry. So he said, oh, don't worry, I'll just go and get a knife because uh. he didn't have safety scissors. So then he unblindfolded me and I saw him standing in front of me with a kitchen knife. No. And so it was poor. It was a poor first experience. Not great. I don't, I don't, I don't blame him. But then my second ever bondage experience was with this famous sadist his name was China Hamilton and he was really a a big name in the London fetish scene in Mm. that at that time and he shot at night and he he took me to his beautiful house that was full of antiques it was very refined environment and he was taking black and white pictures of me and he tied a crotch rope Mm. and I thought I was going to die of excitement Mm -hmm. (laughs) my hands weren't even tied but it seemed like wow this is this is edgy this i'm doing bdsm and it was very it was very exciting (laughs) so i think on that day there wasn't any spanking because we hadn't negotiated that yet i think he gagged me at one point just with like a silk scarf and that seemed you know amazing mm-hmm. so I mean it was very light stuff I think at one point he tied my hands behind my back so it was you know very very low um low intensity but it didn't seem that way to me I remember he took a picture of me taking I was wearing Victorian bloomers and mm-hmm. I was I mean, he photographed me pulling them down and that felt like a spanking fantasy even though nothing was happening <laughs> so actually it was a very good introduction he was he was very careful and very slow. We ended up shooting some much more extreme, sadomasochistic, much more edgy looking images. But it was a great beginning and I, I'm very grateful to him looking back. He's, he's no longer alive, sadly. And hmm. I, wish, I wish he'd been alive for long enough for me to write my book so I could express to him really what a lovely start it was. 
um, because lovely. I know a lot of people aren't quite that lucky and it was it was splendid oh gosh yeah that's a lovely tribute to did you write about that in your book did I you have, did yeah oh, I mean I couldn't so nice. I couldn't avoid it it was it was a yeah really important Form- formative yeah yes I do remember him laughing at me afterward like after the first <laughs> he said I thought you were having a seizure like, oh no <laughs> I love it. I know. But so then after that, I started to develop a bit more of a kind of professional shell. Mm. So now I, I think, I like to hope people wouldn't really know if I was beginning mm. to go into subspace a bit. I, you know, I'd be doing my job. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's so lovely, though, as a first experience. Like, because... It really you was. Know, and you say it's like they weren't very intense activities but like that is all so subjective like because as you experienced yes. it was very yes. intense and then from a, a place of a lot more experience nowadays you're like that was like so mild right <laughs> yeah. but it's all so subjective like how the those yes. little kind of basic building block uh things like just hands behind the back can be yeah. really salient stuff and really intense stuff depending totally. on where you're at and how, what you're associated with that and a million other factors right so yes yeah. and I, I guess you'd be in a much better position to to know this the answer to this than I hmm. but I remember when I started fetish modeling people a few people said to me oh yeah the problem with BDSM is you you just want more and more and more you want it harder and harder and harder <laughs> and I mean actually in my experience you know still having my hands tied behind my back by someone I like is yeah. still powerful still does it's it still, yeah um and I I so I think that might be a bit of a myth I mean you will you'll I'm sure you'll have a an answer to that because you see a lot of submissives yeah I uh I think that is talking about the thing that we refer to as like sub frenzy which oh, usually I've never heard of this yeah it's usually like a thing that happens with people who just discover kink like are or oh, are finally yeah. able to uh, do it in person right maybe it's been in their heads okay. for a long time but they're they're finally yes. like in the community and they're getting it trying to get it from everywhere in every way as much as possible <laughs> yes. it's like their new life goal for like a couple weeks you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like that's the thing of like ooh, that's kind of a dangerous mindset um so you know us as dominance we try to like uh you know try to pace people who appear to be in this like kind of frenzy state of like oh my god i want to do everything and harder and harder and more and more and more people and more people and everything (laughs) it's like okay let's just um let's try to balance this and try to give them some tools like safety tools specifically you know that they can carry forward and usually that's like a short-term kind of thing that is happening for a person yeah and then like they don't just continue doing that their whole life unless i don't know maybe i'm sure there are some people out there that do but most it's like then they they achieve a balance of like okay maybe i don't need to play with everyone maybe i don't need to do everything maybe i can be finding my voice and the things i really want to do and the types of people that i really want to do these things with you kind of start to figure that out yeah along the way i think it's a bit like with alcohol isn't it when you first discover that as a teenager you'll just drink anything and then you're a bit older (laughs) you drink you drink higher quality things you drink them slowly and you kind of savor them and i suppose i suppose that's what we do as we get older and more experienced 
Yeah. And honestly, like how you said, um, you know, someone's still tying your hands behind your back, if it's in the right kind of context, that it's still as, you know, salient and interesting and hot as ever, right? I think that that is true for a lot of people. We have like a handful of things that really just hit us in a very specific certain way, right? And we carry those for years and years and years. And it still does the same thing years later. You know what I mean? You don't necessarily need to keep building and building and building. It's like sometimes those simple things are just perfect as is, you know? Yeah, because at least I'm sure not everyone would feel exactly the same as I do about this. But primarily, BDSM to me feels like communication so who I'm doing it with is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trust, of course, but also liking and respecting them. And it, it feels, when it's going well, it feels like this really um, satisfying conversation. And, and yeah, that doesn't need to be um, like loud and dramatic. So, you know, a, a kind of low-key, gentle scene with the right person can be just as exciting and stimulating as as the hardest thing I ever did Mm -hmm. I think and that's that's kind of it's a blessing really because one thing that I've really enjoyed about working in this industry is actually it's not that big an industry it's not like you have to work with someone different every day what you really do is you go back to the same few producers who you trust and and as the years go by you trust each other more and you understand better and and uh, I guess it will be the same for you with regular clients that Mm -hmm. yeah it gets it gets easier to do it well together I suppose definitely yeah when you have a shared um chemistry history Mm. you know all all of that stuff and you have all this information that's accumulated um that will lead to better scenes you know you can anticipate things and you um you know you can surprise them with things uh the more you get to know people right whereas yes. off the top it's like okay let's talk about this and then do exactly this basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly what a joy what a, what a joy um but i like this thing you're saying of like uh to me as a dominant it's not mm-hmm. and as submissive as well i'm a switch in my personal life so ah. for me uh, how I experience kink, it's more about the connection and the dynamic than it is the activity. So it can yes. be that thing of like, well, I don't care what we do, we can be doing some wild thing, or some kind of quiet, grounded, intimate thing, like emotionally intimate thing. Yeah. And it can feel just as important or intense or cathartic or whatever you're, uh, you're yes. striving to get to. Um, yes. Whether it's, you know, mild or all the way to like a, maybe a more edgy type of it. Activity. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Certainly. And I, I know. Obviously, it's it's sexual uh, to some degree, depending on the scene, depending on sure, yeah, who the yeah. person it's with. But also, it it does feel like there's a sort of maybe not spiritual. It's just, it feels it feels like a sort of spiritual element. Like there's yeah, or at least emotional. Sure. And I I really love that aspect of it. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things I love about BDSM is it, you know, it doesn't have to, a scene doesn't have to end with an orgasm. There doesn't have to be an orgasm. And if there is an orgasm, that doesn't mean it has to be the end of the scene because that's not the only, um, it's not the only goal, Level. I suppose. Yeah, like yeah. the only layer. Exactly, yeah. There's lots more layers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to ask you, because I mm-hmm. think we have two very different experiences in like our pro uh, pathways uh-huh. I'm not interesting in like yes. talking about the differences of like okay I do in-person work and that is my mm-hmm. main kind of thing that I work yep. in person with clients right 
um, yeah. and do scenes with them. And for you, I f- it's mostly or completely um, content related, making videos and photo shoots yes. and whatnot, right? So, so pre-COVID, yes, like I was doing photo shoots. Before COVID, I was touring um, two weeks out of four. So I was going and working with producers and photographers around the country and around the world. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks out of four, I would stay at home and I would shoot custom videos for my clients. And mm-hmm. I'd sometimes hire other models, but mostly it was just me in my bedroom shooting <laughs> fantasies for customers. And I really liked that balance very much because working for other people, working for other photographers meant that I was being exposed to their own aesthetic, mm-hmm. but working for my customers meant I was being exposed to a very wide variety of fetishes. Um, because I tend to, if I'm doing work in person with photographers and producers I tend to shoot the stuff that I personally like but for custom videos because I'm not having to interact with anyone else I'm very happy to you know play a dom for example so and I mean in real life I'd be incredibly uncomfortable with that but just dominating a camera when there's no one there yeah yeah I can do that (laughs) I love doing that so it was a lovely balance of course Covid changed all that and so for you know a year and a half I was just at home and now I've gone back to touring but more like one week in for because I've I guess I've built up my client base and it is very nice being at home and being warm enough. Isn't it? So I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. So I prioritize my comfort a fair bit, to be honest. Yeah, this is a very interesting thing um, that you're bringing up. It's like your, how our boundaries can change depending on context, right? Yeah. Of yeah, like absolutely. who's who's doing it with us, like what are the activities? For me, it's even like time of day. It's like emotional yeah. labor type things that I'm bringing into play of like you know whether I want to do a certain thing or not want to do a certain thing and that's a good point that when you're alone in your bedroom it's like well you know the menu opens up a bit because (laughs) yes yeah absolutely and you know what I didn't really realize until COVID is actually I'm shy so there were a lot of activities (laughs) as a sub that I'd not done on camera because the idea of doing them in front of anyone else was a bit much yeah but when I was suddenly I was in my bedroom and I wasn't going to have to see anyone in real life for a while because of the lockdowns yeah. I got a bit braver because I mean I won't even <laughs> let my husband in the room when I'm shooting some of this stuff <laughs> but I don't mind people purchasing it afterwards it's just I wouldn't want them there at the time so yeah it's there very interesting <laughs> sort of emotional comfort sometimes allows me to um experiment with stuff I would never go and work and do with a producer you know a random producer in a studio with crew around yeah 100% and I think that's like a valuable lesson to learn as far as you know boundaries go and consent and all that yes. it's like you know check, just keep checking in with yourself uh, like what's yes. happening now in the moment what's on this day how are we feeling about all of these things because it can change and, from day yeah. to day and where and who and all of that stuff and that's fine have them change. And what an amazing, like, it's an amazing yeah. time for this industry because we've got this flexibility that we can all, we can, you know, you and I, we work in the same industry to mm. some extent, but what we actually do within it is is widely different. Um, and it's it's brilliant that you can really construct the, the kinky career that suits you. And, and, if, and if, if it stops suiting you, you can change it. And yep. that's a delight. Yeah, definitely.
Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. This episode is also brought to you by Club M4. Now, Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA, and it is located at 1989 Dundas Street East. This month, what they want you to know is they are at the Everything to Do with Sex show, and they're not only there in general, they are there somewhere very specific because they are sponsoring the dungeon. So head on down to the Everything to Do with Sex show and say hi to the lovely folks at Club M4. Or if you want to follow them virtually, you can do so on Instagram at clubm4.toronto or at clubm4events. I'm also interested in talking about the differences between like you doing mainly submissive um, work and myself doing mainly dominant work. Yeah. Um, And if you think there's a difference there as far as maybe how we experience this industry, does anything pop to to mind? I mean, I, 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 I hope that you are somewhat at less risk of, you know, things like actual sexual assault right i mean i I hope i hope um i know that especially pro submissives who do sessions i know that they are especially vulnerable to that kind of thing um though i guess you're just as susceptible to like getting stalkers and inappropriate people i'm sure um yeah i wonder actually because of course i've never experienced your side of the industry i don't know right have have you done you know photo shoots with producers at all i do mostly i do custom more they're self-produced or produced by Uh friends of mine someone with the camera is usually someone i know unless it's just like a model shoot that's not like a quote-unquote porn shoot Mm. right where you're interacting with other people so i don't yeah i don't think i've ever been actually in the position where uh, someone I've never worked with before has the camera directing it, kind of deciding right. what's happening. No, but I can imagine yeah. that feeling a little vulnerable. Do, does it it? it? it does a little, and it's funny because if it's with the right person who's good at boundaries, it doesn't feel uncomfortable at all. Yeah, but with some producers, it might. I imagine sometimes they are not very good at boundaries, so. It, it seems very important to me that I'm not submissive to them unless the camera's rolling. So that, yes. you know, calling action and calling cut is this framing device that makes the whole thing feel emotionally um, comfortable. Sure. And occasionally I will find myself working with someone who doesn't really understand that. So might try to sort of spank me a bit um, on a break when right. we're moving cameras or might, you know, want me to still call him sir or something and you know i absolutely Ooh. wouldn't that isn't comfortable for me at all um so, <laughs> so i guess i mean of course i'm always quite fascinated about how if you do sessions where the session starts and ends because i guess you have the same issue it's just you're not 
calling action and calling cut. I, su I, I, I suppose you have some other way of signaling, right, now Beginning you're of not scene, being my sub anymore. End yes. of scene. Yeah, right. End of session. Because that's important. <laughs> it's like, it's, it feels like either way, whether you're in your position or my position, that that kind of beginning and end is it's really important to establish because mm -hmm. I guess someone who carries on trying to sub to you when you're just like trying to get them to leave for example <laughs> be quite tiring <laughs> yes um one of the things that I learned kind of early on that is similar to what we're talking to is like mm -hmm. I did um online domination sessions so via like zoom uh, or skype yes. or what have you yes so sometimes you know uh, a person you know a client would think they could book me for an hour via Skype or Zoom mm -hmm. and do a little kind of online scene. And then the, somehow that would grant them access to my DMs forevermore. <laughs> I, oh, would, I would have to yes. be like, um, no, 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 yes, sweetie. I'm so I can sorry. imagine that. <laughs> you know, I used to have this sort of idealistic vision of what it would be like being a dominatrix hmm. I imagined that you would get this sort of automatic respect that perhaps I as a submissive wouldn't get from mm -hmm. customers mm -hmm. I mean actually I've, I've had lots of very respectful customers but now I'm beginning to sense that possibly sometimes mm -hmm. pro-doms are also sometimes treated mm -hmm. as objects and not yes. like yeah <laughs> here's the thing that I have experienced Ariel mm -hmm. is that um you know, regardless of what side of the slash we are playing as yeah. uh, as women who have, you know, we're cultured as women, we're cis women, um, is that the gender role thing will still come into play, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. outside of the bedroom, they're not interested in me being dominant. You know what I mean? Outside of the dungeon, yes. outside of the session, they're usually not interested in me being, uh, you right. know, curt, forthright, business-like, professional. Mm -hmm. Um you know, just in the way any other woman doing this type of work, no matter what role she was playing in the fantasy, it's like, well, um, you kind of still get, you get treated the same, essentially, I'm going to say. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, so I'm not perhaps... going to lie, that was mm -hmm. um, the reason that I eventually, that I uh, initially came in in this role, into the industry in this role, was because of what yes. you're saying, and then learned very quickly that yep. that is not the case. Yeah. Of course, because you did have the choice as a switch. You could have done could either have. Or, or both. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly, I think if I were a switch, mm -hmm. I would probably have done the same as you. Um, because yeah. Because you it think it's that, safer. yeah, you think there's some built-in security, and maybe there is in some small way that I don't totally outwardly perceive. I'm sure there is a little bit, honestly, but like on the whole, it's like, no, that's just the fantasy, and you're out of the fantasy a lot in this work. You're doing admin yeah. like ninety percent of the time. You're, you know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very yes. not glamorous <laughs> most but of the time. Certainly, when I meet new models who are entering my side of the industry mm. um, as submissives, mm. I do think, oh gosh, the risks—the risks that I took at the beginning of my career, traveling to countries I'd never been to before, and letting people I'd never met before tie me up. Yeah. You know, physically immobilize me. Uh, I'm glad I'm not at the beginning of my career again because it, it seems quite dangerous. I mean, objectively, quite dangerous. Yeah, but yeah. I was so desperate to experience these things that I took those risks. But yeah, I do like to think that as a as a, a dominant doing in person sessions, mm. 
I do like to imagine that you are somewhat physically safer. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we are, but we're still like, you know, most I I have uh, lots of non-binary clients and trans clients and, mm-hmm. and women clients as well, but um, on the whole, they're they're cis men, so it's like yeah. it, in the end, the bottom line is I, it's still like a woman in a room with a man alone yes. you know yeah so we have lo- like we have plenty in common don't yeah we? so I'm there's sure. that <laughs> yeah i am interested um mm-hmm. do you have like any advice for submissive models submissive content creators um who are just starting out like yeah yeah i do i i would say it's, I mean, it's boring advice which i didn't take myself <laughs> at the course, beginning but i should not. have done <laughs> is to just check references carefully Mm. Um, and a, a few times in my career I've come unstuck that I either I haven't checked references or I have checked I haven't checked with enough people or that I actually I got sexually assaulted in 2019 at a bondage shoot and oh I did check I did check his reference but now looking back I checked with a model who had very different limits from me okay. and I think perhaps if I'd gone to someone who'd worked with him who'd had similar similar levels to which she worked perhaps I'd have got a better picture of what I was letting myself in for because actually it turned out he had done it before so if I checked with the right person I would have been able to find out so I would so it's it's very much in my mind checking references really carefully especially when you're new is a good idea because when you're new you're working with a lot of people you've not met before and so you are you're taking many more risks than you will later on in your career and the other thing I think I'd say, and it, it took me a long time to acquire this level of honesty, but I, the, the more honest you're prepared to be with people, the closer your work will be to fulfilling your fantasies. Mm-hmm. And for the first year of my career, I didn't tell anyone I was kinky um, other than China Hamilton, who I worked with to begin with. I just said, oh, yes, no, I'm happy doing this stuff. Mm. I know it's quite interesting um, because I wasn't brave enough to say this is this is the heart of everything I want to do. <laughs> that seemed like a lot to put on people. <laughs> but as I've got braver, I have definitely found that the shoots I do give me more pleasure because I'm actually getting to do what I love. And the more honest you can be, I think the more fulfilling your career will be so I definitely say as a as a new submissive model don't just get pushed into the roles that other people see you as go for the roles that you want to play and because when people see you playing those roles they will invite you to play that role more because actually the first spanking producer I contacted Mm -hmm. turned me down he said I was too tall to be a sub um, and he'd hire me as a dom, but not a sub. Oh, and Come on I mean, it was, now. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I mean, it was heartbreaking. It was really... Because I thought, oh, my God, what if they all think this? I'll never get spanked. Um, <laughs> and it turns out they didn't all think that. But I do realise that if I had gone and worked with him as a dom, I would have been seen as a dom. I would have been offered more work as a dom. It would have been hard to turn it down. And I might have ended up in a in the side of this profession that I would be really unhappy in. Mm. So, yeah, I think being as courageous as you can, expressing what you actually like will kind of shape your career and I think make you in the long run feel more satisfied with it. Yeah, I love how you put that. Being courageous about what you really want to do will will shape your career. Like, you don't have to fit into what you think 
you know, whatever box you think you have to fit into to be marketable, to be successful. It's like you can blaze that trail for yourself. So start by putting out there, you know, what the the things you're truly passionate about make you know make content about what you're truly passionate about and then that will be forging the way um exactly to making your career look like that yeah because enthusiasm shows you know it it shows on camera and i'm sure it shows in in real life sessions yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) um (laughs) and i'd rather not be having to fake enthusiasm i'd i'd much rather be feeling real enthusiasm when I go to work for sure yeah because you know what if you are then you know say you're making content that you're not really that passionate about you know but yeah so which is fine that's also a choice you yeah know? yeah money money is money if you need the money right of course um but yeah the thing with that is like okay the stuff you do the stuff you put out there people see that and will want that you know because that's yes. a marketing technique you putting your content yes. on twitter or whatever right the whole yes. reason we're making posts on Twitter is so that people see it and then buy that, whatever it is. Yeah. Request yeah, so more they know of that. who we are. Do a custom. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's showing people who you are every post you do on Twitter. So if you're showing yeah. stuff that you kind of aren't that passionate about or don't really want to do, mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's only attracting people to book you for that thing you don't want to do. So it's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah, and it's yeah. quite easy as a as a fetish model to find yourself. I mean, I shoot, for example, I shoot a lot of silk scarves. Now, silk scarves don't do anything for me, mm-hmm. but I end up wearing a lot of roll neck sweaters and a lot of silk scarves. <laughs> <laughs> and the Isn't silk scarves, I don't know how that happened um, because I feel nothing for them. But roll neck sweaters, I'm a big fan of. I wear them in real life, so that is perfect. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm all I'm all for kind of letting people see who you are and what your tastes are because then you will get more of that work and it's great yeah like focus on we just had a staff meeting actually at our uh, dungeon um, Mm -hmm. and our headmistress uh, was talking about like putting things on your feed you know she's talking about marketing and stuff Mm -hmm. marketing yourselves putting things on your feed um that will that you want to put energy into like don't post when you get a no show don't post about like don't be essentially like have the majority of your feed more more about positive things that you want to manifest and you want to do more of rather than a more negative feed that's like oh this client did this it's like well that's you know energetically that's only going to attract more of the same so like let's concentrate on the things we do want to attract in our twitter feeds you know totally yes i agree a hundred percent i do a kind of regular audit probably once or twice a year where I look through my tweets nice and count how many of them are I discount all the ones that are just promotional sure um like this is a new video and I look at how many of them are broadly speaking positive as opposed to negative and it feels like if they're not 75 percent positive at least I'm not I'm not really doing it right Uh, and it's yeah it's an interesting way of just kind of keeping an eye on on how I'm expressing myself but also how I'm feeling I suppose um and checking that you know I I hope I am feeling at least 75% positive about my job because if I'm not, yeah. I should change something. Yes, that's such a good point. Um, mm. Because for me, like when I start feeling angry, resentful, like those feelings, that means it's time for me to check in about my boundaries. Like, do I need to raise my rates? Absolutely. Do I need to yeah. stop pr- providing this one service? Do I need to cut out this client? 
Mm-hmm. All exactly. of those things that I need to be checking in with myself regularly so that totally. I can remain being happy in my path. Yeah. And isn't it amazing being able to, like, I know it's a privilege and yeah. I know a lot of us don't have it at the beginning of our careers, but that being able to pick and choose with clients so that you only see people who you have warm feelings towards. Yeah. Well, what what an amazing when gift you can that get is. there. Oh, yeah. And not to have to take the money of someone you don't like, because like, uh, that is a horrible feeling. Yeah. And I very much enjoy being at the point in my career where I'm not doing that, because it always felt so dishonest to, to sort of take someone's money and and then not and just be waiting to go home. I, I never want to be yeah. in that position, and it's lovely not feeling Watch like that clock. anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, I want to switch gears to talk, uh, mm-hmm. ask you a couple of questions about your book, Playing Toulouse. Mm. Um, I want to ask you, what was the most mm-hmm. fun part to write for you? Oh, wow. I, the whole thing was an absolute delight to oh, write. It, yeah, I, I know some people find writing their memoirs a bit traumatic because, of course, inevitably you, you revisit the best and the worst bits of your life. Sure. But being able to write about that experience of walking into a gallery and suddenly realizing I am not alone. I remember I was I was writing it in bed and I was crying as I was writing it of happiness, just really recalling the the intensity of of not being lonely anymore. It was oh. it was pretty extraordinary, but also writing. <laughs> Sometimes I think writing, maybe especially memoir, is a little bit like masturbating. It's very yeah, self indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> so later on in the book, I start to describe some of the standout best shoots I've had mm-hmm. so you know that some of the best BDSM experiences I've had and that was a delight it was lovely being able to try to explain it not not just to a kinky audience because I hope some people who aren't kinky will read my book mm. um, trying to explain like what I'm getting out of something that to a vanilla person watching that scene <laughs> they might not be able to understand why I'm doing it and I, I really loved trying to kind of analyse what's going on, what was going on in my head while I was experiencing all these things. And that was a delight to write. But the, what was best of all is sending those chapters to the people I'd worked with <laughs> to check with them, of course, like whether they were OK with what I was saying, but also to just show them like what what they gave me because inevitably at a photo shoot you don't necessarily sit down afterwards and say wow those nipple clamps that was great thank yeah. you for that and wow when you slapped my face that was the best thing ever you know you don't <laughs> you tend not to say these things and so to be able to give them that gift it felt I really loved that and I I want to keep doing that because it it felt so special I love that. And um, I do do that after a session, you know, I, oh, fantastic. I, I love to hear about like, that's one of my favorite questions to ask right when we're done is like, what, what was your favorite part? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like to ask doms that I've worked with. You know, what was your be- What was the best bit? What was the best bit? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Because like, that's just Cause then you um, can do more of it then, right? Yeah, like, it's like, okay, well, let's do another video then where it's my yeah. face laughing or like, whatever, right? Uh, yeah. And sometimes you're surprised by the responses. It's like, oh my God, I kind of, I don't know, I realize if I realize that part was so important to you, you know, so it can kind of yeah. uh, be a light bulb moment too of like, oh, okay, I didn't, um, you know, for you as far as like you're checking in with your partner and like, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, okay, well, maybe that will inform me to ask some questions, you know, in negotiation next yes. time. Like maybe it's an emotional question that I want to ask next time. Or yeah, I guess something. inevitably we tend to focus on like, what do you want me not to do? Like, is yes. there anything that will ruin this for you? But actually afterwards, hearing what the best bits were is very valuable too, isn't it? Yep, just as valuable. Because it gives your play partner or the person you're sessioning with more confidence, I suppose, and that's really valuable. And I'm sure as a dominant, being given that confidence by being told that was amazing when you did that, that must feel pretty good to hear that. Oh, I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly like part of my aftercare as a dominant of like just hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing your favorite bits is was like... That just, yeah, it really does something for my confidence, but also does something for that part of me of like, why am I in this industry? Why am I in this role in this industry? And it's like, I'm a service provider, right? So I want to do a good job for you. I want you to be satisfied, right? So it like hits that part of me too, of like, I did a good thing today, you know, for this person. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I... I think, you know, the, the feeling of well-being one has after a good scene. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing to be able to give someone else, um, whether you're dom or sub. Yeah, definitely. Do you have like that sort of feedback? Do you get that sort of feedback from clients? Um, because I know you're usually working with other actors and models. Um, and yeah, like, providers, to be honest, so. I'm very keen on sharing emotions. I'm very keen on those kind of conversations. I don't really know anyone else who's as keen as I am. So I never get as much feedback as I give them. But that's fine. Like, I'm... You're like, listen, I enjoyed making the video for you. So I just need to tell you that. These were my favorite yes. parts of filming them for I'm you. I'm going to write you 6,000 words on what I liked about it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. See, if I if we did some sort of scene together or something, I would make sure then to like give you a writing assignment. If I know that's yeah. something you really enjoy doing. I would tell you. I, I would, would tell you everything. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, let's do a whole writing assignment after where you have to tell me, you know, in this many words all of the things you enjoyed and blah 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 yeah (laughs) yeah I mean now I didn't realize before I wrote my book I didn't realize how much pleasure it would give me to do that but now I've learned that about myself I suppose I was I was a naturally it's a natural thing for me to write a book because my memories are very vivid and I love expressing them so yeah (laughs) I I guess I should just keep writing books just for my own pleasure even if no one wants to read them because it's (laughs) Such a delight. <laughs> Start a blog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, goodness. I love it. Um, <laughs> what feedback have you gotten from your book? Have you had people read it, um, even if it's like editors and things? What's the general feedback yes. that people are giving you? So it's not out yet. It's available to pre-order, but it's not out yet. So mm-hmm. the only people who've read it um, have been... My sister, who is also my PA, so she read it. Um, oh, she's also a, a writer herself, so th- so that was great. Um, my BDSM producer friend read it. He's also an author, so that was super helpful early on. My agent has read it, I hope. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and my editor has read it. But like, actually, most excitingly for me, I just spoke today to a reviewer um, a book reviewer from a like a broadsheet newspaper in the UK, mm-hmm. and he has read it, and and he gave me some lovely feedback 
because he said it was funny. And yes. of course, you don't know if your own writing is funny or not. But I really, my my life has not been all particularly jolly. I, I grew up in a religious cult and then experienced a lot of guilt about my sexuality. And then oh some other goodness. stuff went wrong later on. So, <laughs> so to hear, of course, so to hear that it was funny made me very, very happy because I'd been scared that perhaps it would be a bit miserable and yeah. so just to have that reassurance was very very valuable to me oh I love that yeah um we haven't even talked about that that part of your story <laughs> right um I'm not going to totally grill you about it but I am interested in like since you do have um experience with like some kind of intense religious uh kind of yeah. lifestyle <laughs> I am interested how mm. religion or uh, you know plays mm -hmm. for you in your life now and maybe yeah. in your kinky life if if that's something that kind of reflects somehow in there for you yeah yeah i i think it is it's endlessly interesting and it's yeah. not just of course people who grew up in religious cults i mean i know anyone who grew up a catholic or a baptist yes. might well experience similar things but one of the things that i was a jehovah's witness that's what my family were mm -hmm. um and in common with a lot of other religions, it's very patriarchal. It's very, very sexist. Mm. Um, and I guess one of the less good um, side effects of that is as a heterosexual female submissive, I felt very conflicted about it because growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, I was disgusted by all the things women weren't allowed to do yeah. and the way that the man was the automatic head of the household. And, and it... It is, it's been difficult to reconcile my worldview, which is now atheist and feminist. Um, like, feminism is very important to me. Yeah. Trying to reconcile that with what I want in the bedroom, it's difficult. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. I think it would be much more easy to kind of get to grips with being a heterosexual female dominant yeah. because it would be the opposite. But in some ways, earlier on in my life, I felt like, you know, is this because of being in a religious cult? Do I want these things because I was conditioned that way? And that, that mm. seemed like a horrible, I, I mean, I'd hate to think my sexuality was a result of, you know, basically what I consider to be quite an abusive, traumatic yeah. teaching. But as I've got older and I've become a bit wiser about that sort of thing, I think, no, like my, uh, my earliest memories are of thinking that I fancied Captain Hook a lot more than Peter Pan because he was the bad guy. I mean, it was it was right there in me from really early on. So now I feel much less uncomfortable with that. But I suppose the other thing about having grown up in a cult where there was so much control over what we were allowed to do, um, one of my friends, David Collard, who is a, um, a writer, and an extra Jehovah's Witness as well. He said, everything that wasn't compulsory was forbidden. And I think that's a really good way of putting mm -hmm. it. Um, that I do think having experienced that, I find that I sort of think, well, I guess I get to make all my own rules. I, I had all those rules imposed upon me and now I can make up my own rules about my whole life mm -hmm. and I think that maybe helped me have the courage to live such an odd life in such an open way because everyone yeah. knows what I do for a living I, I've not made any secret of it at all and I think part of that courage has come from you know I was told everything was wrong yeah. and now I think well what if nothing is wrong what if what if nothing is wrong what a great starting point for living a kind of free life and so 
<laughs> I kind of I I like to think that actually that that childhood it gave me some positive things as well because yeah. it makes me definitely feel I've got one life and I want to be I want to spend it being maximally kinky because I love it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love how you're like, yes, I rebelled in this way, like a direct reaction to like having many rules com- imposed to like just a debaucherous life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in, yeah. The, in another way, it's like, okay, the submissive angle of this, though, I can see that being kind of uh, challenging for you to figure out, okay, um, because I'm not subverting uh you know what my um no uh, no like the messaging that i had been receiving so what does that mean um and just that uh, that check-in and realization um and monitoring of that whole process for you of being like no this is for me no no this is for me this is my choice i have all the choices in my life now and i'm making this one yeah Um, like recognizing that that your sexual identity doesn't have anything to do with your worldview it doesn't have to at all so you can want your own bank account and your own mortgages and (laughs) equality in your relationships and you can want to be tied up and that's fine those two things don't have to interact yes yeah yeah yeah. they can live at the same time happily live at the same time yeah we can be feminist in the streets submissive in the sheets (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and what an amazing freedom that is i love it yeah oh i love that you know my um my aunt and uncle and cousin was uh jehovah's witness oh Um, wow okay so you have some insight i'm sure yeah and I grew up um, not intensely Catholic in my um, household, but mm-hmm. in my, I always went to Catholic uh, schools. So Catholic right. grade school, Catholic high school, not uh, not a college, but um, just even the messaging that you receive on the day to day, being in that school system is kind of wild. So I always find Absolutely. that interesting, like people that have this similar path to me of like, you know, some sort of a religious upbringing in those formative kind of sexual years and how that has yeah. impacted either one way or another or a hundred different ways really yes um, yeah and it, it, and it certainly doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a hundred percent negative of course no but yeah but certainly in some ways you know religious upbringing can be pretty traumatic for someone whose sexuality is is not a hundred percent standard yep yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'd like to see that changing over time for sure because it sort of it seems it seems kind of abusive for a institution to be able to tell you that your sexuality is wrong from before the time you even know what your sexuality is I mean that just seems like such a damaging message such a disservice to youth yeah yeah we were told oral sex was wrong (sighs) yeah like even between a husband and wife I mean just what on earth does that what like why because it's not mentioned in the bible it just made it up some guy just made it up (laughs) to make life less fun yeah and that's cults right some guy just made it up (laughs) yeah yep totally some guy who didn't want (laughs) blowjobs honestly i just listened to a podcast my friend does this podcast Mm -hmm. evil men 
and uh, they just covered Henry Henry the Eighth, and he oh. literally him wanting to like divorce his wife literally spurred a religion um, just because this yes. person was horny um, and needed yes. to, to annul his marriages. Uh, it's so extreme, isn't it? It's so wild. extreme and so yeah. And today <laughs> we're still people are still you know able as Pro- Protestants you know able mm-hmm. to get divorced like it's <laughs> yeah from this yeah. horny man <laughs> yeah and it just tells me like your sex drive is powerful isn't it it can make you do something as dramatic as found a religion <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness um ariel oh my god it's this has been so fabulous i really want i've loved talking oh. to you i've loved it i Honestly. listened to your podcast for the first time last week and i oh. it delighted me so I'm, i've got a long drive tomorrow i'm going to listen to more of them um oh, and it's, it's lovely to talk to you um in real life on oh Zoom. my goodness mm. thank you so much to you ariel as well uh i want to give you the opportunity to go f- of course tell everyone where they can pre-order your book and any of thank your you. you know socials and stuff where people can find it follow you thank you i'm on twitter as at ariel anderson anderson is not spelt like anderson it's spelt like anderson like a swedish person with two s's and an en at the end <laughs> like a um, swedish person <laughs> <laughs> yes and my book is available to pre-order it's not out for a few months yet i'm very sorry to say because publishing is bloody slow yeah um but it is it's called Playing to Lose. So if you search Playing to Lose on Unbound's website, so the publisher is called Unbound, which is easy to remember because it sounds like bondage. Yeah. Um, so Playing to Lose, Unbound, that is where my book is. Um, oh, and you can find me on arielandersonauthor.com, which is my website. Fabulous. Uh, for me, folks, I'm on Twitter at the Lady Pim One. That's where I'm the most active. But we also have an Instagram. It's at the Bedpost Podcast or at the Lady Pim. Uh, we have a Patreon. It's a Bedpost Show. We have a YouTube channel. It is also the Bedpost Show. And I never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who does all the original music for my podcast. She is Stephanie Copeland, and you can find out more about her at stephcopelandmusic.com. One last massive thank you to Ariel Anderson, everybody, and another thank you to you. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. We will see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here on the Bedpost Podcast talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.